The nail in the coffin! It is a shell-shocked edition of The Nail in the Coffin. It is Thursday night. I'm Tom. He's Travis. And we are waiting for Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And, Trav, I don't think neither you nor I thought that at this point, uh, if you said that this series was going to be 2-0, that it would be the Cavs facing a must-win on Saturday when this series shifts to the queue. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that I'm not I'm not even totally sure that we underestimated the Celtics necessarily. Um maybe overestimated the Cavs cuz they've just they've looked flat um pretty much across the board. I don't know that uh I don't know that we ever anticipated them looking this bad. And there's probably a couple guys who stand out more than anybody else and we'll jump into that, but uh, oh, we sure it's, will. It, it's it's been <laughs> it's been a uh a shaky couple games, to say the least. Well, I think what's terrifying, slightly, you know, and I'm probably more worried about this than it seems any of the players are. If you were on Instagram today and Channing Fry posted a picture of himself, uh, I guess today's his birthday, and he posted a, a picture of himself uh, from his much younger days, and Kevin Love jumped into the comments on there and told him that that mustache is 0-2. Um, so clearly they're taking this uh, very, very seriously. Uh, which I guess is probably good that they're in a little bit lighter frame of mood than uh, I'm in right now anyway. But uh, my God, yeah, I think what's uh, nerve wracking for me was you see game one, obviously that was a a bad game from LeBron. And it it seems like if you're going to get a bad LeBron game more often than not, it's going to be game one in a series when he's going through. He talks about feeling out a series and what a team wants to do. Okay, a lot of turnovers. Um, but what really kind of had me thrown for a loop was game two, you get a 40-point triple-double. You get 22 and 15 from Kevin Love, and you still lose by double digits. Yeah, I think we're used to, I don't know, I think we're used to sort of defaulting to, oh, Kevin Love must not have done anything. But um, he actually had a pretty decent game. Um the numbers are good. I don't know. His his shooting percentage, I don't think, was great. But he still played – still got plenty out of him. I thought he did fine. Um, but let's just – worse. Who was worse, Jeff Green or J.R. Smith? Let's just jump into the negative right now. Um, I The, the J.R. thing, like, we, we need to talk about this because I'm baffled as to what's going on there. Uh, I think coming into the series – we had said one of the most effective offensive weapons that the Cavs have that's not named LeBron has been running this two-man game with Kyle Korver and Kevin Love. And they ran out in game one the same starting lineup that they had swept Toronto with. Okay, you want to stick with what's working, even though Tristan uh, has a good history against Al Horford. You want to ride the hot lineup. I get that. And uh, we saw how that played out on Sunday. So at that point, okay, Al Horford goes nuts in game one. Let's bring in Tristan into the starting lineup. Well, one of those shooting guards has to go. And I thought 
and I know I was not alone in this, that it should be Kyle Korver staying in the starting lineup and JR moving to the second unit. And that obviously didn't happen. And it was especially frustrating on Tuesday night in game two because uh, Korver and, and Love played a grand total of seven minutes together. And I it just, I, I did not understand. And it, especially as the game went on and you see what you're getting or more to the point, not getting from JR, it was just baffling that uh, that, that Tyloo continued to ride out uh, his rotation in, in that fashion. Yeah, there was a point in, I think it was the third quarter, where Cavs, the, obviously through the whole third quarter, the Cavs were in it. It might have been early in the fourth. I can't remember exactly what point in the game it was, but um, JR and Korver were both out there, and JR was just getting killed on both ends. He was completely useless. And... I don't. I don't want to necessarily pile on Jr. because whatever you know. If, if he, as long as he's trying, what are you going to do? But it clearly was not his night, right? And I'm like, okay, timeout here. We can finally fucking pull Jr. Get somebody else in and switch this around. And what do I see? Is Cal Corver walking to the bench? Jeff Green running onto the floor. And I'm just. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever been so angry with a coaching decision in real time as I was with that one. Um, I don't remember exactly what I texted you. I'm sure it wasn't the cleanest text. You wouldn't read it to your daughter, I'm sure. But <laughs> um, it was – and he just couldn't get away from it. And it was just infuriating me to no end. And I don't I – don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what the change needs to be because I thought Corver was actually – had a pretty good rhythm. He, he was kind of starting to hit his stride. He made a few shots. Um, and he wasn't getting killed. He's not – he's obviously not known as, as a – defensive stalwart but he was i thought he was holding his own he wasn't getting completely uh exposed or anything um and jr was just lost every time on the defensive end it felt like so i don't know it's it's one of the decisions in real time that i can't i can't wrap my head around what the hell is going on so here's the thing jason lloyd of the athletic uh, had a, a Q&A. He opened up, he, he posted a story on the uh, on the website there and was taking reader questions. And being a subscriber who has an awful lot of questions about what the hell the Cavs are doing right now, I decided to jump in there. And I asked him, I said, given what we know about Corver's effectiveness playing with Kevin Love, why, and especially compounded by the fact that JR's been a liability on both ends, what is the thought process behind starting Jr. and putting Corver in the second unit? And he said that uh, it was for defensive purposes because as bad as you might think Jr. looked defensively, Corver's worse. And when when you're getting good Jr., I can see that, but I don't know that when you get bad Jr that if you ride him for 30 minutes, it's going to magically turn around for him in the, in the final quarter. It's either you're, you know what you're getting from him halfway through the game. And I just felt like number one, that lineup decision created more problems than it solved. And number two, it should have been really apparent as that game unfolded that Jr. was just not engaged defensively. And, And the thing, like I talked to my dad about the day after it's, you know, it's hard for me to sometimes figure out 
who is responsible. You you hear all you know. You, you could see it when guys are getting uncontested shots, and the Celtics had just an ungodly number of them in, in these first two games. And um, you know, a lot of times it's is it the guy who's primarily defending who has the ball, or is it help defense that's not arriving? And it just feels to me like more often than any other player, whether it's he's the guy who was on the ball or he was the guy that was supposed to be coming to help, you see a guy from the other team scoring and it's JR involved with pointing fingers and staring at a teammate wondering what what the hell just happened. And it just drives me nuts. Yeah, I'll say in the first game, I thought there was a couple times where – the, the other four guys kind of left Jr. out to dry where they should have, someone should have rotated and helped and it wasn't necessarily his fault. Um, game two though, there was, I mean, a handful of times guys were just wide open, no one near him whatsoever. And you're just sitting there wondering what the hell Jr. is doing. Um, Cause you knew it was his guy. Um, so it, I don't know. I, 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 I understand the, general concept of wanting to like let jr play out of it um because he's a guy that you know you can get some you know you can get help from him at times like he's a guy that it i think ultimately what it is is tyloo thinks if they're gonna win they need jr to play well okay. okay i guess i can understand that from a concept but you have to at a certain point during a game you just got to accept tonight's not the night Maybe we'll try him out. We'll roll him out again next week, next game. See if, you know, it, it, he comes around. But the way he's, what he's giving you right now is is just killing you. And they didn't do anything in the game to fix that. So I don't. And the other caveat here, and and I know I've said this on here before, but I think it bears repeating is, and what's so frustrating for us as fans watching this, especially when you're sitting home on your couch doing a slow burn, is. The coaching staff has access to more information than we'll ever know. Like the thing that I was apoplectic about, much like you were with the the Jeff Green substitution, was the game was still in the balance going into the fourth quarter, and they start the fourth with both Kevin Love and LeBron on the bench. And that was, yeah, it felt like one of those games where LeBron needed to just suck it up, not take his normal rest. And well, that was the that thing. Was the he, he you know, I he, I mean, you're looking at that from from. You know, watching it as an outsider saying, what the hell is happening here? What are you thinking? And then you find out at practice today, Ty said that he wanted LeBron in there to start the fourth. And LeBron told him that he needed rest for the stretch. So he needed to sit a couple minutes. And he knows his body better than anybody else. Yeah. And the other right, thing with I, that. I won't knock it at that point. If he knows. Yeah. Like you said, he knows himself. So if he says it, I don't think he was. I don't think he was necessarily take, taking the game off or anything. Or, no. And, you know, so I guess I didn't hear that. But okay. the, and, the, and the final stat line for him obviously looked incredible again, but I, he didn't look right after he took that shot in the jaw at the end of the first half. Is it just me on that or did you agree? Well, he went down and I immediately when I saw him, like when he was, I think he was on his knee, um, kind of trying to blink the cobwebs out. I immediately thought there's no way he's not concussed. Right. And then he went, he got up and he went to the line and I could still tell he's, he looks like he's concussed and a couple minutes, you know, he took the foul shots. They fouled so they could get him out of the game immediately after the miss. Um, yeah, they knew they needed to pull him. Um, uh, you're not going to convince me that he didn't have something. 
yeah. I'm not I'm not buying next strain. I, no, here I would I would I would believe next strain, but I would not believe that that was the only thing that they were yeah. worried about. I don't think you're falling immediately to get him out of the game if it was just a next strain. Yeah, and quite honestly, I'm a little surprised that it's not a bigger story. Um, but whatever, it is what it is. But my in, in real time, as I'm watching it in my head, I'm like, I know LeBron's back there. He's telling everyone of those trainers, you're not fucking pulling me out of the game. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. Say whatever you got to say. But I'm going back out there. And they're like, I don't know, what can we sell? Uh, go grab your neck a little bit. Say it's the next strain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I that... don't want to, like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to, obviously, that's sort of a, a lofty claim to throw out there, but. I just, I'm not buying it. Uh, it's understandable. I mean, it certainly looked ugly in the moment. He And that, that is a, a look in his eyes that you do not see very often. So maybe we'll never know. But uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that he was concussed. It's possible that he was just a little dazed and not actually, didn't actually have a concussion um, and needed a minute to, you know, like they say, clear the cobwebs. I know that that term <laughs> pretty much has come to mean you have a concussion, but right. it is possible to have that without it necessarily being that severe. Yeah. yeah I don't know, man. Um, is there anything else X's and O's wise you want to talk about from those first two games? Be- or do you kind of want to get into the big picture stuff here? Cause that's kind of where my thoughts have shifted over the last 24 hours. Um, yeah, I mean, big picture is fine. I, I'm not a huge in general. I'm not a you know me. I'm not a, as much of an X's and O's guy as you are. So if you don't if you don't have anything specific, I'm happy to go on to the bigger stuff where it's real exciting, fun stuff. <laughs> you know the the phrase that keeps getting thrown around here and that we've heard over and over again. Brian Windhurst has kind of beaten this drum repeatedly over the last couple of months, and it surfaced again as once again the the picture starts looking bleak. Is organizational fatigue. And, um, I, I think that's real. And I think, you know, you'd like to believe that when you've turned over this much of your roster in two years and you've got this many new faces that you could stem that off a little bit, but, uh, the key players are still here, most of them anyway. And, um, it certainly seems like it's, it's a thing. And, uh, I could just tell you as a fan, I can feel it. Um, it's, this year has just been exhausting from start to finish. I mean, I, I, I joke that it feels like we've had seven seasons in one, but, uh, it, that, that mileage wears on you. And I can certainly imagine that with the uncertainty of what's lurking this summer, uh, compounded with just everything that they've been through over the past four seasons. Now it's rough. Yeah. I mean, I'm also at a point where you know, this is sort of a stupid poll that's been thrown out, I think, on Twitter. Um, people are sort of wondering now, well, is it even worth it to go to the finals and get your ass kicked by Golden State? Uh, I still think yes. <laughs> Personally, I think you're crazy if you'd rather um, let Boston also get the better of you on the way to getting their asses kicked by Golden State. Exactly. Um, 100% agree. So I'm okay. I'm absolutely happy getting to the finals. And no, I don't think they have a chance to beat Golden State. I don't think Houston does either, regardless of what happened last night. Um, but overall, it, it, it feels like that big 
you know, all the moves they made in the middle of the season right at the deadline, it, it, it worked for like three days. <laughs> and then it was, it seemed like we started seeing all the same sort of things pop up again. And there's a couple guys from that trade who just drive me up a wall every time they get in the game. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. I, long term, if you're looking even beyond this series and this season, I don't know what they can possibly do um, to make themselves more competitive. If they want to just come close to, I don't. I don't even know if if they stay in the current way that they're at. I don't think they're a favorite even to get out of the East next year, even if they do this year. Um, so I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to get do too think? far down that road because. For all we you know, said big picture. Well, no, I, I it, just in terms of roster moves, um, because for all I know, we could be doing a post mortem on the season and starting the summer, the very next episode that we do on here. So I hear you. Don't, don't um, use it all up now. But I, I, in in the meantime, I will say this: whether LeBron's here next year or not, I personally am convinced that this roster is going to look radically different. I think that they have some contracts. After July 1st, uh, George Hill and JR, I think, are both expiring deals. I think JR is. I don't, I don't, maybe I'm wrong on that, but, um, I, I think, you know, obviously, if LeBron's gone, he, JR is not. JR okay. is locked up for the next two. Okay. Um, really, none of the, no one really expires this year. Rodney Hood, Jose Calderon, Jeff Green are the only ones this year. But I'm saying that Ju- July 1st is the uh, new calendar or the you know the new NBA year, and at that point, no, all those guys are booked up through 2019, 2020. Okay, so they're all locked up for two years. Okay, um, I mean you've got Zizic and Nance and like guys with small salaries, but pretty much everybody that's playing right now um, is locked up for two more years. Yeah, I'm still – if LeBron's gone, I, I mean, I said I didn't want to get into this, and here I go. Um, <laughs> I, I think priority number one for the front office becomes getting under the luxury tax line because if you think Dan Gilbert's wavering on paying $50, millions in, $50 million in luxury tax for a team that probably can't win a title, uh, I can assure you there's no chance in hell he wants to pay $50 million in luxury tax for a team that has no chance to win a title. For well, the foreseeable if, future. If LeBron is gone, then they're already under the luxury tax. Well, I'm just telling you that, that they would have more guys. That the rebuild accelerates. I, I just I can't envision them doing something with uh, trying to rebuild on the fly. I, I'm, I'm convinced Kevin Love's gone and everybody else that uh, could fetch anything in terms of yeah, it becomes a, it becomes it becomes a complete right. fire sale. Scrap the whole thing. See if we can see what we can do in five years. But I also think that if LeBron sticks around after this year. Um, I, I think there are moves to be made um, and, and some roster turnover that could happen there in terms of trades and whatnot. Um, but, you know, just kind of getting back to the trades at, at the midpoint of the season, the thing that I've gotten frustrated with and the way those have been portrayed through the playoffs is, you know, you're seeing certain people – especially outside of Cleveland, be like, oh, you know, Kobe Altman taking a victory lap on, on all these trades and now these guys aren't doing anything. And for a long time, the feeling I've had is those trades were more about who was shipped out than it was who was shipped in. Um, 
I don't know what this team. I don't. I don't know that this team is still playing right now. If they still had Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder prominently involved. No, no, no. They were. They. These guys right now, the guys that they traded for, for the most part, they're not playing well. Um, but I don't think they're. They're. They fit. They, I don't. I hate the term "fit out," but I don't think they fit out nearly as much as Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder to a lesser extent did. Those guys just it, and I don't. I don't even know that it's necessarily a huge knock on them. It just didn't work. They weren't a good fit. So, I mean, what are you gonna do? It's uh, overall, I think the, the trade still made them a better team this year, but marginally. Yeah, it's. And you said two of the guys, and I, I think it's pretty clear you meant Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood. I I certainly expected more, especially out of Rodney Hood, than yeah. what we've gotten. Um, I'm a little surprised that we've seen as much of him in this series as we have, especially given the way the Toronto series wrapped up where he refused to go into that game. And, you know, a lot of people were initially jumping in, Oh, what you know? What the hell? Where's this guy get off? And then there was kind of that. All right, maybe this. There's more to this story than we know about. And then it that kind of fizzled, and it was like, no, I, you know, I, I don't know. And now it's just, yeah, we're just gonna keep running him out there. And and I think uh, the numbers would bear out. He has been. I I think I saw something like net rating or something like that. The worst player in the playoffs and it, it on any roster and it's not particularly close. Um, I guess it's that was hard. Hood or Clarkson uh, hood. Okay. Um, I thought hood actually gave you, and if you're going to find a uh, silver lining, I guess to the game one blowout, I thought hood played okay in somewhat garbage time. He was still playing hard. Maybe it was that he felt bad for, what happened in the Toronto series. So I, I don't know, but overall he hasn't given, I don't think he's given anywhere near what we expected him to, but I, he doesn't infuriate me nearly as much as when every time Jordan Clarkson comes in, cause that guy just touches the ball and feels like he's just got to go to drive to the basket every time. And he's going um, right every time. And he's going to <laughs> got one move. Every, every time he touches the ball, it's the exact same thing. And I'm like, I know the result here. I've already seen this movie. I don't want to watch the sequel. It sucks. Um, and there have, there was glimpses during the regular season where I liked the way he played. I thought, you know, I thought he was a guy that could, um, shoot the ball pretty well. Um, gave you a couple spurts and stuff. And I think maybe that's what they told him to do. I was like, yeah. when you get in the game, you need to try and score. Yeah, I'm cra- um, am I crazy or like, did he not have a, a somewhat competent like pull up three point shot? Like, yeah, he's I, he's a he's a pretty solid shooter. Which I'm specifically is- remembering like that first game against Boston after the trade deadline when you know they hit him for the the three pointer and transition on the wing and he's doing like the the hand motion and you know all the guys on the bench are whooping it up and all that and it was like oh okay that's going to be a fun weapon to have and i don't know i that that i don't feel like we've seen that as much since then yeah strangely he's actually shot a much higher percentage with the cavs than he has at any other point in his career um any individual season with the lakers uh the highest he was at any time before this year was like 35% and he shot like 41% with the Cavs. So he was hitting at a pretty high clip, which is why I don't understand his insistence on 
just going in the lane like a bat out of hell and getting blocked every time. It's it's frustrating, and you know the other component to this is we had the draft lottery on Tuesday night, and the odds obviously were not in the Cavs' favor there. Um, And for once, they did not have the ping pong balls uh, pan out in the way we would hope. Although I think we came within one number of winning the lottery again or jumping up into the top three, which is amazing. Well, I think what someone pointed out, um, who was it that jumped up? I think whoever was a spot above us jumped up and like they had one, we were a game apart and if we had beaten like the Nets, one of those games, yeah, was, oh, Sacramento jumped up, and yeah, yeah I, I pointed that out. Was. Yeah, because okay. uh, Sacramento had one one less win than the Nets did. You know, the Nets finished with twenty eight wins this year, and Sacramento had twenty seven. So that gave them slightly more ping pong balls, and I I think it would have changed the math. And those teams would have split the number of ping pong combinations or whatever. Right. Cause it's, they, they draw the four number combinations in. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the Cavs lost that one game to Brooklyn early in the season. So, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? I think people said at the time when that, when that loss happened, like, so help me God, if this ends up costing the Cavs draft position in May and you know, maybe it did, you know, it very well might have. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's fair to say at this point that, uh, the Kyrie Irving trade did not pan out in any way, shape or form for the Cavs. Oh yeah. I, I guess the, the, the last hope that you have here is that they either hold on to that pick and draft somebody who ends up far outperforming what a number eight pick has, uh, you know, done. I don't think there's been a number eight pick that's made in the all-star game in 20 something years. Um, or they find a way to package whoever they take on draft night, uh, for some help. Um, you know, maybe a Kemba Walker type or somebody like that, just to salvage something out of it. Um, but you know, that was sold as this is the selling point. The centerpiece of that trade is that, that draft pick. And it turns out to be the eighth pick in the draft. Um, not great that we find out this week that at one point in the season, and this was something Jason Lloyd had, I think, in his final thoughts the other night after game two, that there was a player on the team that told him during the season that Danny Ainge is a fucking thief. Direct quote. I'm dying to know who it was that told him that and whether that player is still on the team or not. They've they absolutely... I didn't like the trade at the time, and it somehow looks even worse than I thought it would be. Um, so that's and it's extra frustrating that, so. because they had an out when Isaiah's hip ended up in the physical looking a lot worse than what they were initially led to believe, and it held that trade up for a week. That, you know, you had an out there. You, you could have walked that back and either looked at other trades or, or tried to mend fences at that point. And I think that's what makes that twice as frustrating now in retrospect. But, you know, here we are. I, I did think it was interesting, though, that we got that quote um, about Danny Ainge. And then we also saw a quote from LeBron, I think, either before or after game one, being extremely complimentary of Brad Stevens. And 
I don't know if all of that stuff was meant to be passive aggressive uh, towards the Cavs front office and coaching staff, but it, it was not a great look on, on either front. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it's raising a lot of questions now, I think, about uh, you know, that's always going to be the story with LeBron is, is he coming, staying or going, and everything he says is going to be kind of read as is this a way that you know, is this another sign of what, what's going to actually happen? I don't think it is necessarily. Um, but we knew it at the time that they weren't going to get um, – that they were not going to get the true value because you never do. When you trade a superstar in the NBA, you never get the true value for them. Um, but I don't think we expected it to be this bad. No. No, it's been – I mean, with a lot of different things for the Cavs this year, I feel like – of all the possibilities that you've gotten the worst case scenario and every step of the way. Uh, so here we are now. Um, by the way, I, just to kind of circle back to the Celtics here for a minute, I, there's one other thing I wanted to address and this endless praise for Brad Stevens as being the, you know, the, the delicate genius uh, of, of a coach and look, I'm just going to say this. He's a great coach. I'm not disputing that. Probably a top five, top three coach in the league. Fine. Not going to argue with you on that either. But when I start seeing people throwing around the this, you know, would you, if, would you rather have any player in the league or Brad Stevens if you're starting a team? Yeah, sorry, that's one of the fucking stop, dumbest man. arguments I've ever heard. Here's the thing. Brad Stevens, in his first year, won 25 games. He went 25 and 57. And that's not to say that he was a bad coach that year. My point in saying that is, like any other great coach, you need to have the horses. You need to have players. And don't get me wrong, if, you know... He's going to get the most out of whatever roster you give him. But this idea that you could just, you know, put Brad Stevens on your sideline and he'll sprinkle the magic pixie dust on whatever group of schlubs you have on the bench and they'll all of a sudden turn into a, a playoff contender, it's it's ludicrous. They've got guys, and I think we, I personally, I think, underestimated how good this roster is. Um, and it's not just Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. I mean, Jalen Brown is a problem. Jason Tatum is a problem. Al Horford, when he's got these other guys contributing now, um, is the best he's ever looked in his career. Um, so this idea that it's like, oh, Brad Stevens working his magic, that none of this happens unless they've got guys for him to actually work with. Yeah, I mean... We look at the. I think they look at them and they say there's no like surefire superstar, um, and maybe that's true, um, but not for long. Um, but every guy is is playing really well, and, and and yeah, they're coached well. There's a lot to that, sure. But I'm with you. I think it's been inc- way overblown. When you, yeah, when you're making the argument like, hey, would you rather have Brad Stevens or uh, a superstar player? Uh, you're insane. Like that's one of the dumbest arguments um, I've seen in quite some time. Um, so I, I don't, I don't even really want to entertain that a whole lot. But 
there we've aired our grievance on that <laughs> right that's it that's all there is to it um but ultimately every one of the guys on their team that's that's playing for the most part is pretty damn good they're not all they're not all exceptional but they're all pretty damn good which the way that they move the ball and everything the way that they all play that it, coaching goes can only take you so far. I think the guys still got to go out there and, and execute and make shots and you know do their part. And they're all doing that right now. They're playing well as a unit. I don't know. I think the overall impact of coaching is probably a little overrated on that. I think uh, Terry Rozier is making himself a lot of money right now. It it will not be with Boston. I fear. <laughs> no. Um... No, it's, I, I saw some chatter throwing out, well, if they look this good with Terry Rozier, maybe you could flip Kyrie Irving after this year. Please, keep having those conversations. Yeah, we'll take him. He, you can he, send him he back. loves it when you start throwing his name in trade rumors, as we know. That that will just work out so well for you. Yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, I guess as we kind of move towards the finish line of this one, um what are we looking for on Saturday night? I think this kind of becomes a kitchen sink game for the Cavs because, yeah. uh, I mean, I guess if there's anybody who could come back from 3 it's LeBron, but good guy. You do not want to put yourself in that position if you don't have to. And, uh, yeah, here we are. What do you say? I think after game one, I know they got blown out, but I looked at it and said, you know what, there's no way they shoot that poorly again. Um, they missed so many open shots that just completely decided the game. I don't see that happening again. Game two, it's, it felt like it was just a couple guys out there not doing anything. I don't know what they need to do. Um, I don't know what the you know the secret is here or what what the the magic elixir would be to fix what's what's ailing them. But overall, they need to fix something and they need to they all just need to have a little bit of pride because I think, and I'm not going to say everybody fell to this, but there was certain, a couple guys out there at least that just looked like they weren't engaged. They weren't excited about what was going on. They weren't really caring too much about what happened in the game. And that's not really acceptable at this point in the season. Just out of curiosity, does what we saw from Golden State and Houston in game two of their series uh, with Houston punching back and looking like they're going to try to make a series out of that. Does that have any sort of impact on the Cavs? I doubt it. I was going to say, um, I have an answer on this, but, so. but I'm curious to know what you think. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know that they're really thinking about that series. They don't, they shouldn't be. Um, they're not quite frankly, they're not in the same position as either one of those um, at the moment. So, no, I don't think so. Do you? No, I just, I mean, I, I'm, you always want to try to talk yourself into the idea that, you know, your championship hopes are still alive. And I guess if you're still playing, then technically they are. Um, but I, I will say that after what, what we saw in game one of that West series, I really had a feeling like nothing in the East matters. I, I want the Cavs in the finals. Um, but I can live with losing to Golden State. I think we had a much better team last year than we do this year, and we were playing well. That was a historically great and, and a historically great NBA offense 
that the Cavs had last year. And I think that's going to be a team that's going to end up getting forgotten by history because they happen to play one of the greatest teams, if not the greatest team ever in the finals. And the Cavs, the only way they won a game last year in those finals was when they scored 80 points and a half. Um, And uh, you think back to that and you look at Golden State when they've got a reason to be really engaged coming out in game one and all of a sudden they look like that death machine again. And it's like, dear God, what are we doing with, you know, struggling through watching Rodney Hood and Jeff Green and, um, you know, J.R. Smith uh, going over a, a game. Um, Houston's less of a proven commodity. And part of me wants to believe like, well, hey, maybe they can pull something here and, and kind of give us all hope that, you know, maybe the Warriors are not invincible. But yeah, I'm like you it. said, I, the, the focus has to be on the here and now. Yeah, I mean, just in regards to that, the Western Series, I don't think last last night doesn't change my mind one bit about Golden State coming out of that. I'm as convinced as ever that they're still going to win that series. But um, I would hate to think that that the Cavs are, for whatever reason, paying any attention to that and thinking any of that applies to them. They got to do it themselves. They can't take anything from what anybody else is doing. they got their own problems they got to worry about and they need to fix that shit themselves. And that's, that's what I hope comes out of it Saturday. Well, they got three days between games two and three to go under the hood, not Rondy hood, the, uh, the hood of the engine here and uh, work, uh, work on getting some repairs and fixes and uh, putting it all back together. That, was, that one was bad, man. <laughs> We're going to edit bad. that out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, you got to own it, man. That's on you. Shit. <laughs> it's yours. That's that's Hey, you know what? Yours. If if the Cavs could suck in the first two games of the series, then uh, so could I and trying to tie it all together here at the end. Yeah, Deal I, with it. that's all right. You can't can't hit it every time. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh they they can finish a little stronger than uh, than we are here. Um come Saturday night. Looking forward to it. I'm I'm, I'm nervous. I I just don't know what to expect. I, we've seen Boston look a lot worse on the road in the first two rounds of this uh, these playoffs, but it feels like a bit of a dangerous gamble to just assume that they're going to turn into a pumpkin again just because they're not playing at home here in Game 3. Yeah, I mean, you hope that... I don't know. I don't, I don't think home crowds have that much to do with it, quite honestly. Um, maybe the last game indicates somewhat differently but i i gotta hope that they come out a little more a little more focused and and a little more comfortable and that's and hopefully it it does change a lot i if if they come out and the problem was they came out last game pretty damn well came out what are they i think they're up seven and a half time they had a pretty pretty substantial lead in the first half they kind of dwindled away a little bit um you just have to hope that they can if they come out like that, they maintain it because third quarters have just been brutal. And that's sort of been a trend all season, though. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Uh, I, I, I've I've heard enough. I've seen enough. I've said enough. Anything else on your mind here before we close up shop? Nah, that'll do. All right. Uh, actually, yeah, Indians. Go get a damn reliever. <laughs> yes. Oh, Um. all right. So, 
quick sidebar since you brought up the Indians. Um, Major League Baseball for opening day was running a sweepstakes on Twitter where they were giving away custom Xboxes in every major league market. One, one that each Xbox would have, like it would be painted with team logos and things like that. And there was one for each major league team. And I got an email today from major league baseball that I won the one for the Cleveland market. So I have a new Xbox showing up at hey my now. house before the Look end of the you, month. Man. Yeah. And, and a copy of RBI baseball 18. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have some blazed with Wahoo everywhere. Cause that would be fantastically. Ironic. I strongly doubt that that's what it's going <laughs> to look like, but I've been wrong in the past. Um, but yeah, that's my plea to the Indians is I think I've got about two weeks until that Xbox shows up. So for the love of God, please find some relievers uh, before uh, the next roster update for RBI Baseball 18 comes out. Nice. <laughs> I agree completely. All right. Um, Hard Knocks, did you are, are you excited about the Browns on Hard Knocks? I've never watched a second of Hard Knocks in my life. Really? I may I may watch now. Um, but I don't, it just never really interested me that much for whatever reason. I am shocked because I thought I was the only one. I have never seen a full episode of that. I've seen some clips here and there online. I mean, I've seen clips when people, yeah, when people put up video and whatnot, I've seen right. it, but I've never, I've never... I also have never seen an episode of Hard Knocks. So I think you and I might be the only two people uh, who follow the NFL and have never seen an episode of Hard Knocks. But uh, yeah, I'm... I don't know. I, I, it's not something I'm going to order HBO for, for however long that that's on five or six weeks or however that. Right. Yeah. No, but, for sure. Um, yeah. I guess I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out. I'm, I'm not at all worried about it being detrimental to the team. I, there's only one way to go and that's up. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. How much worse could it really make them? Right. Right. Um, I'm already annoyed with how much camera time Greg Williams is going to get. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. I feel bad Jabril Peppers is uh, probably not going to be on much because Greg Williams will have him lined up 40 yards away from the nearest yeah. camera. There's no way you're the first one to make that joke. <laughs> There's no way. I haven't seen it, but that's that's the was... low hanging, lowest of the low hanging <laughs> I was I I did use that this afternoon when I was going back and forth with a friend of the show Bill Bender on on Twitter. Um, yeah, but uh, the Browns will be on HBO. Jabil Proppers will be on HBO Four. <laughs> <laughs> it writes itself. It writes it's too itself. easy. Too um, easy. All right. On that note, I think uh, I think that's a good place to stop. So uh, as always, go subscribe on Apple Podcast Stitcher or Google Play for you Android users. And if you are on Apple Podcasts and you have iOS 11, please do us a solid and go rate us on uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can just scroll down um, when you when you go through your library of different podcasts you're subscribed to, click on the nail in the coffin and just scroll below the uh, the most recent episodes and there's a nice big five stars you can click on. Uh, give us a rating. We need to get some ratings here. Um, so that's your homework for this week. I, I hope some, uh, some of you will go out and, uh, take the, uh, literally five seconds it takes to do that. Um, go like our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com slash the nail podcast. 
And uh, stream us on waitingfornextyear.com if you listen to us on your computer. Hopefully the Cavs will still be playing basketball the next time we convene. But uh, in the meantime, for Travis Julie, I am Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.